Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews, well over 4,000 now, at my website, Quipster.net is where to go, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. I also want to let you know that I do another podcast, a companion to this one, but this one specifically covers films of the 1980s. Wherever you're listening to this right now, just search for it. Around the World in 80s Movies is the name. Speaking of 80s movies, there are quite a few people that have compared the film I'm going to be reviewing next with a movie that came out in the 1980s, actually several movies. The style of movies that you find in the 1980s, not based on any specific one. It is called The Kid Who Would Be King. It's a film that is written and directed by Joe Cornish. The cast includes Louis Ashbourne Circus, Angus Emery, Rebecca Ferguson, and Patrick Stewart also appear in the film in smaller roles. It's a PG-rated film. It does have fantasy, action, violence, scary images, thematic elements, including some bullying and language. The runtime is about two hours. If you've heard the name Joe Cornish, there's probably a few reasons why. I think the most primary one that I know of is because he made a nice, albeit a bit low-key, at least by today's standards, leap from television to movies as the writer-director of the film, the cult sleeper film, really, a surprise back in 2011 called Attack the Block. He also was the screenwriter the same year for Steven Spielberg's The Adventures of Tintin, and since then there's not been a great deal of output to remark upon in his filmography, except for taking a stab along with Edgar Wright, the intended director, for several drafts of the script for Marvel's Ant-Man. Didn't come to fruition, although they did get story credits there, despite the fact that they were kicked off that project. In the meantime, Cornish was also briefly attached to direct such films as Star Trek Beyond or Kong Skull Island, to name but a couple, before he decided he really was not ready to take the mantle of a huge blockbuster franchise, preferring to do his own thing. Now, his own thing turns out to be the story that he's wanted to bring to the surface that he has carried with him since he was on the verge of becoming a teenager. Having child protagonists in his film was important to him, having grown up with films in which children were the heroes. Cornish cites films like 1979's The Black Stallion, 1982's E.T. as prime examples of films that he related to because he was relatively the same age as the protagonists in those films, and they meant a lot to him. You know, you contrast that to today, there's a slate of anthropomorphic 3D cartoon creations in place of real children, comic book superheroes that are pretty much played by adults, and there are some young adult properties out there, but those also cast adults into the roles playing heroes, usually in their late teenage years. There are no actors among the kids who will be readily recognizable as movie stars in The Kid Who Would Be King. I suppose that makes them easier to relate to as every kids instead of every men. There are adults in this film. Patrick Stewart is here. Coincidentally, he also had a small role in John Borman's Excalibur, which was also a pivotal film in Cornish's childhood that was released in 1981 when Cornish was, I think, just on the verge of becoming 13. Rebecca Ferguson also is an adult in this film. And as adults, they're known quantities, but they represent the older ways of the past for a reason in this movie. The kids are the next wave to make their own names for themselves. That really does say a lot about the movie as a whole, at least as far as what the storyline tries to dictate. 
About that story, it involves a young boy in London. His name is Alex. Alex spends his days bullied at school, primarily because he sticks up to those bullies, named Lance and Kay, to protect his bullied friend Betters. In the heat of one of those skirmishes, Alex stumbles into a construction site where he finds a sword in one of the construction blocks there. It looks like the one in his book on King Arthur that was left to him by his absent father. He manages to pull that sword out from the concrete block that had been its home and reads some Latin inscription on it that says it is indeed Excalibur. He ends up knighting betters with it, and the boys are soon visited by a teenage representation of Merlin. He claims to age backwards. He's lost in time somehow, and he's newly in disguise as one of their schoolmates named Merton. Not really a good disguise, though. Merlin ends up getting Alex up to speed about his quest to save humanity from enslavement, from the coming of the dormant but very powerful witch named Morgana within four days when a solar eclipse is destined to happen, and that he'll need to raise an army of friends and enemies to become the king of legend. Now, a lesson to be learned from the kid who would be king is not only the importance of the next generation and becoming the champions of our world of tomorrow, but also one of how tales of old can be handed down from many generations in the past to become something that's new and relevant to people today. The film is an example itself. But there's also this notion that within Alex's story, there's a suggestion that his Arthurian tale is something that is meant to occur, that it will be modern and relevant for other children to become a part of. Each generation makes the story their own, rather than just clinging to the past etched in stone from a time they don't really fully understand. Cornish here also breaks the chain of lineage as very important. The sole aspect of being part of a line of royalty, that's something that's kind of done away with in a certain respect here. Very much preferring ordinary kids to come to greatness of their own merit, rather than being great as a result of their family succession. You think of the Star Wars films and all the Skywalkers and, you know, all of these films are about chosen ones that somehow have links to the past they don't know about. This one has it to a certain extent, but it subverts it. This is more about honor and pride and teamwork and putting aside petty issues for a greater good for the world. Now, the performances in this film are a delight. Circus, yes, he is the son of Andy, in case you're wondering, He's a good find for the lead role, definitely a natural when it comes to a film like this, and there's a lot of solid supporting performances to chip in the fun. The scene stealer here, though, of the film is Merlin, particularly in his younger incarnation, played very wonderfully by Angus Imrie. He's acting in the oddest behavior with a lot of arm waving and finger snapping and hand flapping to cast a spell that's inevitably going to drain him of power without rest or maybe buckets of junk food. It's kind of a recurring gag in the film. It, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, he sneezes his way into becoming an owl and taking flight. Patrick Stewart is a welcome presence in relief to give us the Merlin that we see, that is one we probably generally envision. He's used sparingly in this film, as he should be, to keep the gimmick from growing stale, playing that older Merlin. Rebecca Ferguson here is a presence with the enemy, the nemesis of the film, Morgana. Although the character is mostly a CG creation for most of the runtime, they pick the appropriate spots for Ferguson to appear in the flesh and blood for an alluring extent and a menacing one as well. She does very good here in that role. Now, any complaints that I might have for the film, and there are a few, they're mostly nitpicks though, I will say. For instance, the film is a bit lengthy at two hours. There's this very prolonged climax at the end of it. It's really not as interesting as the buildup. It's not bad, it's just not as fun, I would say leading to the final 30 minutes or so of the film that ends up petering out just when interest should be hitting a kind of crescendo. 
And seeing the kids gear up for the upcoming battle is more engaging than watching them actually do that battle, particularly because much of what is so enjoyable about the kid who would be king is about the kids' repartee and the bits of personal discovery that they're able to put to the wayside for girding themselves up for the tumult at hand. While the kids are seen as somewhat skeptical of whether what they're seeing is real, there are also quite a bit of shortcuts narratively involved in getting them to become true believers in these incredible things that they're witnessing without a great deal of shock or awe or fear or utter astonishment throughout on display for more than just an initial beat. I mean, that's kind of not realistic. It's a film that's not really striving for realism, I will admit, but I would have liked to have seen a little bit more there given how character-heavy the film ends up being. The kids also end up becoming experts at everything that they want to do. Horse riding especially, they have heavy armor on, yet they're able to ride these horses like experts without any discernible rhyme or reason here. But like I said, these are nitpicks. I think a lot of kids probably won't even think that deeply about it or even care even if you point it out to them. Because the kid who would be king is very bright. It's very funny. It's very endearing in a way that will probably keep adults, even skeptical ones like me, content with this new twist on a very old tale. Perhaps it will even entertain a percentage of adults who genuinely enjoy young adult properties that don't even have children of their own. So I don't want to discourage people into thinking this is a film that only appeals to kids. It definitely has much more of a reach than that. The characters and their interplay manage to be much more fun to watch than the effects are in the action. And I think that's how it should be, to be honest with you. The Kid Who Would Be King may not be the most impactful entertainment that you'll see in 2019, but I do think that it has a sincere and earnest approach to its heroism that gets you on its side very early, and it will entertain you enough throughout to the extent that you might actually find it one of the nice youth-minded surprises for the year. And given what's going on in Great Britain today or even in the United States, this is a film that targets future generations in its messaging finding unity among different people, points of view, asking them to work together, to have trust and honor for one another, even those people who you may think are your enemies in some form or fashion, and to face all of these obstacles, these problems. This is more than a welcome message than what we're getting today from our own adult leaders. And when adults have all but completely abandoned the children, to their own hopeless feelings on the mess that the world is currently in and that there's no fixing it. The only way to survive is to protect yourselves and not worry about others. It's really up to the kids to save themselves from the ills of the past. And that definitely is a message that is put forth here, a very timely message in that way for those people who want to delve a little deeper than just the surface. I really enjoyed The Kid Who Would Be King Enough. It's it's a borderline call for me between a three and a three and a half star movie. And my rule of thumb, as I often mention, on a first time watch for a borderline film is to give it the lowest of the two grades. If I watch it again and it gets about the same, maybe even a little bit higher, I will give it that higher grade. But for right now, I'm going to give it three stars out of four. And three stars on my scale means that it is a recommendable film for those people who like this kind of movie. If you like your films in which kid protagonists are out there, or if you have kids who like going to the movies and you want to see a good one that you will also be entertained by along with them, I definitely think that this will appeal to you. Three stars out of four for The Kid Who Would Be King. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the review. If you did and you haven't done so already, I do encourage you to click the subscribe button and you'll continue to get my reviews as they come on out from here on. Also, there's about 300 film reviews in audio form you can listen to in the past. Just look at the archives for this podcast and you'll listen to that. But beyond that, 
You can just get a good glance at them. Over 4,000 of my reviews on my website. Quipster.net is where to go. Until next time, thanks everyone for listening. And please enjoy your time anytime you get to go to the movies. Thank you.